0: I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Episode number 50, it is hard to believe. I am 50 today, even though I'm only 46 years old. This is podcast number 50, and I'm really excited to have our guest on this morning. We're taping this Sunday morning, Tim Cannon, the head boys basketball coach at Millard North High School. But before we get to Coach Cannon, uh, we, of course, want to recognize our sponsor for the podcast, Cosack Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see Cossack Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at cosacchiro.com, K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com, or give Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter site, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, if you're on sound, if you're listening, you're on SoundCloud or iTunes. So like, rate, and review. Give us five stars. We just want to help coaches hone their craft. And of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, have them. Uh, please email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach Cannon, how are you on this fine, finally cooled off a little bit Sunday morning?
1: Oh, uh, great, Marty. Thank you. Uh, really beautiful day,
0: and uh, I agree with you. we had a lot of hot ones, so nice to be a little cooler. We uh, we we did a, a fire pit out in our driveway last night. Um, myself, my wife, and our and our two kids still living at home, and it was just a beautiful evening. Uh, just hung out, no technology, no. It was just us for like an hour, just just hanging out, and you know, finally didn't feel like the Sahara Desert for once here. Over the last couple of weeks, so we could just kind of relax in that situation. So it's it finally doesn't. It's finally not as hot. So what do we do? We build a fire to keep ourselves warm. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, late in the evening it was. It's hard to believe it was almost chilly,
0: but that was a good feeling. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So, well, Coach, I'm I'm really excited to have you on here, uh, podcast number fifty, um, and uh, just a, a coach of your stature here. Uh, everything that you have had in your career, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I like to start off with just giving you an opportunity to, to tell folks about your career, um, you know, 486 and three seventy one one lost record, 10 state tournaments, uh, the most amazing thing for me is, is 41 years, and I, I did the math, and I teach history, so the math can be a little rough, but 41 years, and they've been 41 consecutive years by my calculations, uh, is that true?
1: That's true, yes, and I, uh, I'm actually, you know, this is the beginning of my 42nd, so I like to joke with my students in class, they really told them for a loop, uh, when we begin the year, I tell them I'm in my sixth decade of, of teaching, education, and coaching, and, you know, some of them are not quite
0: all that interested and some of them are
1: trying to
0: figure that out so <laughs> I started in 79 and I, I reached the 2020 so I've got six decades so you're like the uh, the Vince Carter of the Metro here where you've been in you know <laughs> yes. that that many decades well, I appreciate that comparison to Vince Carter who certainly was an unbelievable NBA player and I thought
1: especially the last 67 years that he just kept playing and he always did pretty well
0: in his role. Yeah. You know, he was a guy that caught a lot of heat early in his career for being kind of selfish and spoiled and, you know, forced his way out of Toronto and, and, you know, in some ways, you know, a lot of people felt like he underachieved, but then, he kind of had a little bit of a renaissance as a as a the perception of him uh with with his you know he kind of accepted coming off the bench and and he wasn't the athlete that he that he was at the beginning of his career and kind of came out on the other side of it really revered by other players and 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 the way that they thought of him which is is kind of a, a different evolution of things if, if you'd have said you know halfway through his career you know 10 years into his career if people would have had that perception of him you would have said no way and uh you know he really changed that around don't you think
1: oh yes i totally agree you know and for most of his career it's, it's an unbelievable talent and so productive but like he said those last seven eight years he just uh tried in that role of coming off the bench. And I never felt like any of these teams in the last few years were signing him just to be nice. They were signing him because he could still be their best 6th, 7th man, and you know, he he's still productive in that
0: role and
1: respected for what he did. I agree with mm-hmm. you.
0: Well, let's get back to your Vince Carter career here. Six decades, 41 years. How How does a guy do this for 41 years in a row what's what's you know going on 42 now what's 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 been kind of uh, what do you think and and you're allowed to pat yourself on the back here a little bit but what have been some of the keys to your longevity in your career well I always enjoy uh,
1: just talking to students and you know trying to have some type of influence and some things they can achieve as a teacher and as a Coach, and I don't think that part will ever leave me. You know, I have grandchildren, and uh, I just really enjoy talking to the even really young kids when I go like watch my young grandson and granddaughter play their sports and talk to their friends and have them come to our camps. And so, one thing that keeps me going a lot is I just really enjoy the, the kids, and I, they're in high school, so I like to call them young men and young women. And then, uh, you know, in the classroom, that's a big part of. Enjoying teaching world history and, and government, the subject matter, but also just the students and seeing how they're developing. You know, I teach seniors mostly in government. It's really enjoyable. kind of to see where they're going as they head to college. And then just the other side of it, I'll, I'll never have any problem at all. Just always enjoying Cleveland basketball at whatever time of my life. It's, that's what keeps me going on that side of it. It's just always still fun. For me, uh, the coaching side, and I always tell my players, a lot of people are excited when they have a new coach at the school and things like that, whether it be high school or college. And, and I always try to tell my players, I approach it as this is my first year with you, as far as vitality and energy, and uh, I'm your I'm your new coach this year, as far as energy and excitement for what we're doing. But but then they may know some of them. Been together for four years, so you know that's always a great
0: thing. Other than bell-bottom trousers, how much of the kids changed from the late '70s to now, in your opinion, or have they? Well, I, I, I think you know, basically the
1: kids are the same, but the media part is changed so much, and the social media and that influence on not only their lives but our lives. I like to tell him when I start teaching, if you wanted to make a phone call, cell phone wasn't in the picture. The only thing we had at my first school, the Cathedral, was either the secretary was nice enough in the office or you used to pay phone in the hallway. And uh, so, you know, we didn't have email. Uh, you couldn't Google things. So I think the outside influences have changed a lot, but I don't believe that uh, the young men the young women the students you teach and coach. i think they're the same in a lot of ways so are we you know we want to be uh valued by people we want to be respected we want to do well and i think those things still stand mm-hmm.
0: out, of, out of your 41 years you know you spent 28 of them at at omaha bryan and you decided to take early retirement and then you came out to millard north and it's been, you know, seven years. I think this will be number eight, I believe, um, out at yeah. Miller North. Right. Yep, yep. Uh, but it had to be a really, really difficult decision to, to to leave Bryan, and you had built a really, really good program uh, down there, and you'd had a lot of success and state tournament teams on a consistent basis. But it, but it had to be a really, really difficult decision on you. Yes,
1: it was because you um... – You know, I enjoyed it so much. And, uh, you know, I was very comfortable, obviously, in what I was doing. And, uh, boy, the students over the years, uh, telling the players that were coming back in the program that I was leaving, the staff, worked with great people, always worked with great fellow coaches and social studies teachers, enjoyed every principal, athletic director I worked for. So that was, that part was, uh, definitely difficult but i also looked forward to just uh, a new chapter in life and uh you know continue doing what i was doing at a at a new and a great school and so you know it was <laughs> it was tough on one side but very uh rewarding and challenging on the other side
0: do you feel like it you know the change re-energized you a little bit
1: yeah i do marty and uh in particular uh I really made a huge change the last 11 years of Brian. I was in need of students, which always sounds like a very respected position <laughs> in a college. But in high school, students, just takes care of discipline. So it's, you know, a lot of visits to my office. Uh, anywhere from uh, working with kids with tardies to uh, little bigger issues. Or, and then, regretfully, some bigger, bigger issues. So... Eleven years of that and going back to teaching was quite a change. It was one that I uh I did enjoy at the Dean's job, but it was really great to start teaching again and and I really had to uh you know, focus on that part as I came into Miller North and and not just coaching but starting up the teaching career again.
0: Well, as long as nobody referred to you as Dean Wormer, you know, I I hopefully, you know, that that's that's a, that's okay. And and, and nobody had a, um, nobody left a horse in your office or anything like that. No, none of, none of that. But I used to
1: joke and refer to myself. that it got to a point where I believe I would be longest running uh, head coach in the Metro. Because um, I left Brian, I thought I said, "You can call me the Dean Squared, or
0: you can call me." So you know, I was being a student and being a coach, Dean Squared, or call me the Squared Dean. You're <laughs> so. Well Well, uh you know, speaking of. Uh... You know, leaving leaving Brian and and going out to Miller North and and now you've 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 really got things rolling there. Um, here's a here's a question, uh, an educated guess: uh, How many fire codes did you guys break last year? You say how many fire codes? How many fire codes because of overcapacity in gyms? All oh, the ball games. What about that? <laughs> We had four
1: games where we had to turn away crowds. I think the first game was the most challenging on uh, where we following all the codes. But we did have some great people. Our, our principal, Brian Begley, Chad and uh, Jed Zunman, AD, and uh, our head school uh, resource officer, John Martinez. They were on that and did a really good job, even the first game, on adapting as the crowd was over four. And I had a coach that first night show me on his phone we were just starting to talk to our kids walking into the locker and he said, look at this. I said, what's that? He said, that's the line outside. And I just was
0: amazed. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You know, I was sad that some of them didn't get in, but happy that uh, basketball had reached that
0: point. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a great problem to have, you know, it's a, it really is. And
1: as time went on, we had, uh, we so really you kind of hitting about January, and we were having huge crowds mm-hmm. every night. So, uh, you know, I thought our players always rose to the occasion. I mean, they just had more, uh, just a little bit more lively spirit on I mean, the night of those big crowd,
0: and the crowds helped us a lot. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you you can't not have big energy when you when you when you're playing in front of packed gymnasiums, and you get a good rivalry game going. That's that's what it's all about, don't you think?
1: Oh, it is. You know, and we had the very last game of the year with Central. That was just an amazing crowd, and that game uh, went into overtime. We actually lost in overtime, but what an amazing crowd. A great ball game against a great team from Central, and I thought it helped us. You know, they like to win them all, but I thought it helped us go into the district. We played two great games
0: in district, and it helped us you know going to the state tournament and those ball games so it was still a plus mhm well speaking of the state tournament and i and i don't want to bring up too many ghosts here but i i had coach woodard on the pod a few months ago and and we kind of talked about the one perspective of the state championship game from last year the where where they made the the great comeback and obviously if somebody's making a great comeback somebody's on the other side of that and and unfortunately it was it was you that game and and uh you know it was it was a tough way to to end your season It was a tough way to to lose a state championship but how how have your kids uh responded to that have they come out in the in the spring and the summer and again with covid your your probably your your ability to work with them has been limited compared to what you'd normally do but but uh how how is that uh, uh, how have your kids responded to it how have they kind of looked at that situation what did they learn from it just going through uh just a just a tough tough way to to end your season in that regard especially on that stage
1: well i think they've really they've come back and they've worked very hard and we didn't really get to see anybody together so till- June 1st but you know when you look at things in retrospect
0: being able to work with your team as early as June 1st was actually pretty good pretty good yeah yeah, we couldn't even touch a ball it was just lifting and conditioning it's tough to condition uh, in the early part
1: of June when you can't see to the end of your nose when you're playing games but I was I remember being very impressed with uh, the way the guys worked just on the conditioning part which is you know it's We had a, I thought we had a really pretty good summer, really a darn good summer for what we could do. Um, and, you know, it, it turned into later, well, we had for about 10 days you could touch the ball, but you couldn't really pass it to anybody. And <laughs> that's what everybody had to the state. So the individual workouts were good, and eventually we got to play. Yeah. We probably played about 15 games, Marty. We usually played 30 to 35. But but uh, that went well. Then our guys have been playing uh, a lot of AAU. One one thing that I've been very happy, I have felt that they're motivated by um, our state championship. You know, near miss of uh, of almost winning the state championship. But I've had a few people who know the kids really, really well. Some of them are former students. I um, mean, fellow students, and they've told me
0: they said the guys are really motivated to mm-hmm.
1: win
0: it all. So we hope we all get the play. Yeah. Well, I, I you were kinda of talking about those workouts and, and and with my kids, you know, when when we were able to touch a ball but we couldn't pass it, you know, I'd be like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna start this with a self pass and after about the fifth time they're like, we're tired of self passing it to ourselves. I, <laughs> I know you are. I know you are, but this is what we have to do. This is what we have to do. Yes. So
1: Yes, I know. And and I wanna give Shelby West
2: you know, a ton of credit to make a comeback like that is mm-hmm. you know, an awesome achievement.
1: And I was really proud of our kids Like I said, we had two great district tournament games. Uh first game we had an excellent game with Petallion South. And it was our fourth time and you know, they played well and and we played well and pulled out the end. And I saw it against Omaha South. We second half in the semis, we just played a great game and then uh you know, Bell West, we played pretty well until that last few minutes. So, you know, overall, we, we played pretty darn well at the end of the year. We just needed to, you know,
0: finish that game up there. Yeah, yeah, just needed just needed four more minutes, you know. And and yeah. uh, you you are right that you know the the Bell West kids hit a two or three really big shots, some tough shots, and they they made a lot of really big plays as as this was unfolding, yeah. you know, and. And you you have to give them credit as well for making those those tough plays uh, down the stretch yeah. at both ends of the floor you know so yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well coach, you' a you're in a unique situation. You are uh, coaching a, a player that has received a lot of attention, uh, especially in a state like Nebraska who doesn't have a, a lot of uh, big time division one. Uh, re- recruits in in the sense of where uh, the blue bloods are, are are flying into Epley to make some home visits here, uh, but you you have a kid and Hunter Salas who uh, announced his I believe it was top twelve the other day and and there's you know North Carolina and KU and and some big time folks on there, uh, you know probably in in my memory definitely the most highly recruited kid in the state. Uh, since I've lived here and we're on year 19, probably the only thing I would compare to a baby would be like a Mike Gazelle when he was up at South Sioux City and the the attention that he received uh, from a lot of different schools. Uh, but but Hunter's even at a, another level, you know, anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20 uh, in the recruiting rankings and things like that. Uh, but what is, has what is this experience been like for you to to have a kid who... Is is being recruited by, you know, everybody in the country pretty much uh, that is worth their salt, uh, from Gonzaga all the way to Kentucky. Uh, he's got scholarship offers and, and he's considering all of this stuff. W- what has that been like for you? Well, uh, Marty, it's really been very enjoyable. And you know, as things got started, it was as early as Potter uh,
1: going into his sophomore year. And uh, at that time, uh, Max Morell was being recruited also, but Max's big offers came later, so Mm -hmm. everything got busier um, as we went into Hunter's junior year, and I was always uh, just uh, apprehensive of, you know, how busy this would get and how it would affect, you know, maybe Hunter or Max or other players that have been recruited, myself or coaches, but, you know, everybody's I think done really well and enjoyed the experience and I've enjoyed it and uh, it helps a lot. Hunter's just a great, great young man and uh, his parents, uh, Jessica and Travis are wonderful people who, who at this time and have parented him so well his whole life. So mm-hmm. that makes it a lot more enjoyable. Uh, sometimes I sit down with the coaches with, Hunter and his parents. Um, sometimes we're just in the gym watching. Sometimes we're watching games, but it's it's all been enjoyable. And I do want to say we had a record number last year. I started keeping count on September six was the first day, and that was the first year the NCAA Division one changed that rule that coaches could come on campus. And I think they really wanted to see more involvement of college coaches with the high school yep. program. And yep and see the, see the player at his campus and talk to the coaches. And well, we had, from September 6th until March, we had 65 Division One visits in the building. So
0: it was <laughs> really incredible. Did you, did you even get a chance to teach world history and government during that time? <laughs> oh, yeah. We made sure everything was always done. It
1: was a visit where they really We were going to sit down and talk for a while. We'd all meet in my classroom, like, 7 a.m., and others were, you know, some coaches came to an open gym in the fall. Some came to regular season practices, and then, and then the ball games. We so mm-hmm. always joked at a regular season practice. Our coaches, we get in the coaches always after practice, and we say never
0: fail. So when there's a coach here. Practice always a lot more intense. <laughs> <laughs> well, n- not not only because of of Hunter, but you've got a, at least three other kids that are probably going to be Division one players here along the way uh, with uh, Jaden Thomas and Saint, or I'm sorry, Jaden Johnson, Saint Thomas and and Jason Green. Um, you know, so not only. Are, you know is are they coming to look at, at hunter but there's there's three or four other guys in the gym that they might go hey yeah. you know um so so when when school X y or Z comes in those those three or four other guys are like hey you know yeah we know hunter's really good but i got I got some game as well oh, for,
1: for sure and i felt mean, that all the time and in addition I we've got some young guys that down the road you know we'll be prospects, but our uh, center this year, who came off the bench last year, <laughs> Tyler Sandoval, I always tease him in the hallways. Uh, I think he's up to about 6'9", but he's right on the verge of Division 1 offers and has some good looks from Division 2. He has uh, some offers uh, from Division 2 already, so we may have another Division 1 guy. And along the line, like you just said there, I would always open practice when we gather together. I would tell the players uh, which college coach was here and who would, he was really looking at that day. And then I'd say, but you know what? That coach knows a lot of other coaches. And if you don't fit their program, he might recommend it to, to someone else. Uh, Nate Oates is the coach at Alabama. Mm-hmm. And within, within 10 minutes of being in the gym, at an open gym in the fall, he asked me about three to four different players and his comment was, Well, I think that guy's division one. I. I think he's division <laughs> one. So, that
0: was pretty interesting. What are what are some things that, you know, through these conversations and I'm sure you've gone through uh a lot of different conversations with a lot of these these uh, high-level coaches. What are some things that you've learned from these high-level coaches that you've maybe brought into your own repertoire and, and has helped you become a better coach for your team? Well, just their excellent communication
1: with our player, you know, and last year usually it was Hunter, but early in the year before Max decided, some of them were visits with Max, and the way they communicated with him we're so respectful of our player and treated him as a young man. And, you know, I've always tried to do that.
0: genuine people very 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 genuine people very
1: very down to earth very you know it's interesting some of them tell me a little bit about their jobs and you know the parts that are more just work for them and then the parts that are more enjoyable for them and that was interesting to
0: hear Mm -hmm. well if they get that board they could come down and teach some world history and government for you
1: Those guys would probably do a great job of it and uh we're teachers i, I know like again
0: because alabama they was he the high school teacher and coach the later late yep. in in, 2013 yep yep yeah he was in detroit and and hooked up with bobby hurley and and ended up yeah just kind of riding the magic carpet ride there a little bit so that's uh,
1: yeah he had a great uh, Experience. You're doing pretty good, Marty, to know that background too. <laughs> I think it's, a, it's such an
0: interesting background and how fast he moved up to Division One head coach and you're on it, you got it. Well, uh, th- that's because I, I spend all of my time teaching American history and I, I would never uh, divulge while the kids are watching a, a video or working on something to do looking up basketball nerd trivia like that at any point, coach. I would I would never <laughs> do that. <laughs> I would never yeah, do that.
1: Would be, we would be good at quizzing them on the names of uh, professional basketball teams and where those names came from. Because there's, in the
0: annals of American history, there's some interesting names like the Philadelphia 76ers. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I teach a class called uh, Sports in American History, and uh, basically how American history has affected American sport and how American sports have affected American history. So as you know, I mean, just this, this last few days, you know, is, is right up the wheelhouse of, of that class where, uh, you know, where we had the NBA, uh, walkout protest, whatever term you would like to call it, um, this week over, uh, the social issues and the, and the civil rights issues that, uh, have been going on with our country. Um, and and those those events in sport affect American history, but American history and the issues that are going on on the streets of America have affected American sport there. um So those are some things that we cover in that type of class, and and uh, but we also go through you know where do the the you know the the Sacramento Kings actually were the Kansas City Kings, and then for a stretch they were the Kansas City Omaha Kings, and before that they were the Cincinnati Royals and all that type of yeah. stuff as well. So, so I, I
1: watched quite a few Kansas City Omaha Kings games, and that was a lot of fun. At the time, uh, uh, Casey Jones, whichever team he was coaching at the time, when they would come to town, I've been watching Bullets. But when they came to town, uh, I have an uncle and all his family, and my cousins and and his wife. Uh, they're all dear to me. My uncle Jack Cannon played with KC Jones at San Francisco University, and there was a guy there at the time too by the name of Bill Russell.
0: Yeah, so Up, above average K. player.
1: Would, yeah, when KC would come to town, he would he would come out to my uncle's house, and then my uncle also had a, uh, I'll call it a nice
2: name, a restaurant and grill with a bar, it was called Cannon's Bar. And mm-hmm.
1: they were kind of a modern, uh, not an, an older version of a modern-day sports bar. Mm-hmm. he would come into his uh, restaurant bar there with him and just shoot some stories. And so my wife and I actually went to a game at KC Coast with the... Celtics, uh we
0: sat about twelve rows behind the bench for the final round of the eighty six playoffs versus the Eastern Rockets. My Uncle Jack got us some tickets through Casey Jones. So that was a lot of fun. Wow. That that would have been I I you know, I would love to uh be able to match up the eighty six Celtics against like the the twenty seventeen Warriors or, or something like that. They uh that eighty six Celtics team was one of the best basketball teams I've ever seen and even when I was only about 13 years old when when that was going on but even then you were like yeah there's something special about this team you know yeah oh yeah oh yeah
1: yeah I, uh, I went down to the uh statisticians. so you know on the media bench after the game and some things were just left over so I still have a play-by-play printout of who scored the points, and actually, uh, it says right on it, this was Brian Gumbel's version, so I got it's dead, and, and I have the program, uh, and it's I at my desk at school, that I do so I'm really glad that I can look back at a lot of Hall of Famers in
0: that game. Yeah, yeah, young Elijahwan Bird at his peak, Mikhail at his peak, uh, you know, Ralph Sampson were... You know, kids yeah. these days have never heard of Ralph Sampson, but for seven years, I mean, he was one of the most dominant college players in the history of the game, and and yeah, I mean, it's just uh, you know, great, great basketball players. You know, Bill Walton, you know, with his yeah. one last great season, and yeah, just a yeah. terrific, terrific ball team. So, um, yeah. one more, one more thing about uh, your team. Uh, this year, you know, you've you've got uh, four or five kids that are just out- outstanding players. Um, how do you take that situation where you know any one of those guys could could go, you know, be at a different school, and they could say, "Well, it's kind of my team," or I could be the leading scorer every single night. Uh, how do you work that that balance where you guys you you want your kids to? Uh, play to their strengths and 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 they're all explosive offensive players but at the same time you don't want kids standing and watching hunter do his thing or you don't want them you know just throw it into to the green kid and, and watch him work on the post and everybody else is standing there how do you keep that balance within the team how do you sell that uh to uh these individually talented players to give up a little bit of themselves for the good of the group
1: Well, I I think uh, one huge way to sell it is to constantly encourage, uh, just let's have a lot of fun together and, you know, not get too hyped up with any one day or any one game and just be consistent, but on the other hand, make each day matter. And uh, I always tell them, I I say it quite often to them, I I say that uh, yesterday is gone and Tomorrow's not here, so let's play for today. And just from the basketball standpoint, we're always, you know, emphasize, share the ball, move it to each other. We're going to be best when the open man knows he'll get the ball and play defense together. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that goes better than others. <laughs> I thought we improved in both areas last year of playing Playing defense together, and a lot of those pressure defense, full court presses, things like that. But we also improved in in just finding the open man. And there were nights. Uh, St. Thomas, for example, as the year progressed, um, his scoring went up. But he also was many nights either he or Max were our top rebounder. But Mm -hmm. a lot of nights uh, St. Was the top rebounder. St. Had a lot of assists during the year. Hunter had a district game where. Uh, Rare night, he only scored about 12, but he had eight assists. So, you know, I think they've done a pretty good job of just doing that part of moving the ball to each other.
2: Mm-hmm. And Jay, now point to
1: our JJ Johnson, that's, he's all about getting the ball to guys. And and Jason Green's very unselfish. So we've, we've made a lot of targets in that area. But the more you can do that, just play and find the open man, play defense. Then things go pretty well.
0: And. One last thing on Hunter. He's he's narrowed it down to these 12 or 13 schools, but he's wide open and not really sure about anything that he wants to, you know, he, he's not uh, really committing one direction or or, or other. He, he sounds like he's really wide open with this and going to kind of let it all play out and find his the, the school that's most comfortable for him.
1: Yeah, Marty, he has, he's been wide open the whole time. And every time I ask him, and I don't try to ask him every day because he gets, sure yeah, all that but when i asked him periodically he never really favors anyone and about uh well a couple of days before he released that final 12 list we talked about schools and it was very apparent that you know and none of them are really uh, the leader but you know he's just thinking
0: about all those mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, when he gets to the point when he's ready to decide and he wants to announce it to the world, you've got my number. He can give me a call, and and we can we can we can let that uh, we can let that happen here on a pen and a napkin podcast. You know, we can we can do it that way. Yeah, so I'm sure that would be great. Uh, when
1: he does announce, it'll be you know something that a lot of people look forward to hearing. He just did add, uh, well, Indiana offer him. And he's talked to them in the last couple of days. And kind of the background of that, uh, Kenya Hunter was coaching at Nebraska and he went to UConn and uh, developed everybody at UConn, developed a good relationship, Hunter did with them. And now Kenya uh, has changed and just took a job in Indiana. So they've entered the picture recruiting Hunter.
0: Mm -hmm. Well... We, we wish him and all the other kids the best of luck. You know, like I said, J.J. and, and St. Thomas are, are, are looking at Division I schools, and they'll probably be playing at that level next year and, and uh, deservedly so. Uh, but we're going to pivot here a little bit. Uh, we're going to have our Don Meyer quote of the day. And, uh, you know, Coach, if, if you would like to comment on this after I roll it out here, feel free to do so. Uh, but from the GOAT, Don Meyer, here is our Don Meyer quote of the day. And I think, coach, after coaching for 41, 42 years, you can appreciate this quote. Um, Don Meyer quote of the day is, I tell everyone that I have 25,000 assistants. If I want to know how to do my job better, all I have to do is go to the grocery store. (laughs) Well, that's a great
1: one. Oh, and Coach Don Meyer years ago my dad taught and coached at uh, numerous small towns in Iowa and uh, in the early
2: days he was the head coach of everything boys and girls basketball baseball softball mm-hmm. the schools were they were too little to have football
1: they eventually moved to the central and Dave Meyer was at the central and uh, he was the brother of Don Meyer so way back then had a little connection that way and uh, that certainly is a great quote. You can get lots of ideas and lots of thoughts from anyone (laughs) on what
0: should be going on on that basketball. Yeah. Well, and I think that's true for, for everybody. We, uh, funny, funny story. And, uh, you know, our, our, our football team at Scott has been very successful, but this was early in, in coach Terman's run. And, and I hope Matt, I, I think we're, we're, I think the statute of limitations is, is long enough away, uh, from this. Uh, but, uh, they kind of struggled for a couple of games and, and, and one of the, one of the teachers came up to Matt and the, and Matt and I were talking in the hallway and, and uh, one of the teachers came up, we started talking about the game and he's like, teacher said, Matt, you, you just got to take the ball and just, just run it right at him. And Matt kind of looked at him like, well, I hadn't really thought about that. You know, type of a thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if, if it, you know, uh, one of our other assistants uh, for for Coach Turman um, for the football program, uh, he he made a great point one time. And this is always kind of something that that stuck with me. He said, "You know, the other guy's trying to win too." And yeah, you know, you, you when you're looking at it just from your perspective, you're you're going, "Well, gosh, why don't we do this?" Or whether it's a parent perspective or a booster perspective, well, we should just do this, and it would just make it easier. Well. No, the other guy's trying to do some things, too. That's you know, They're trying to win the game as well. And it's if it were that simple, you know, we'd, we'd take care of everyone very easily.
1: Yeah, well, that's, that, that's a great, great point because they're doing everything on the other side also. Sometimes you miss a game, you know, something is important, but maybe it's simple, too. as free throws. And I've heard, you know, people make comments about guys who <laughs> that are better coaches. Putting myself, a up when we say, oh, no, we don't work on free throws, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's, that's not the truth. I think everybody's working
0: on free throws. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, Coach, let's get into to some of your philosophies and uh, talk about three or four things here. Um, something that I wanted to talk about with you that you were willing to talk about, and we haven't talked about it here for a while. And I, I know your program at Millard North does a really nice job with this. Uh, pressure full-court defense, and what you guys do and and how you teach it. uh, Obviously, you have a lot of great athletes that that make that pressure look really good as well, but there's got to be a system, there's got to be a philosophy behind it. So at at this point, I just kind of try to turn it over to, to my to the folks that I'm talking to and, and kind of let you riff a little bit here. Uh, so talk about your, your pressure defensive philosophy, what you guys try to do, what you have done in the past, uh, how you implement it. Uh, you just, you just kind of go and, and I might uh, pop in with a couple questions here as we go through it. Okay, Marty. Well, I'll start
1: with the uh, last year. We really emphasized full court pressure just as much as we possibly could. And we, we were able really to score a lot off of off of the full court pressure and what we did last year probably more than anything else was basically a full court one two one one press and it, it evolved out of Billgar uh, and then before that Brian we ran a lot of one two two really start with just the regular <laughs> protect the basket one two2 two match up more zone mm-hmm. well, then we moved into uh one, two, two, half court trap. The key trap is across right across half court with the point and the up wing on that side and the opposite wing covers the middle. And we moved that into a three quarter court, one, two two. We really ran that a lot at Bryan and then uh my early years in the north. did then Last year we just we we involved for even the last two years just making a one two one one full court press. So we, we usually have Jason Green up front for us now and Jason is so he's just athletic, long, powerful, mm-hmm. really strong hands. If he gets his hands on a ball in in that area it's probably gonna turn into a dunk. So the one two one one and and last year, personnel-wise, St. Thomas played the middle a lot. He did a really good job there of anticipating things. So 1-2-2 mm-hmm. two, two became more of the one 2 one, one really up on the ball, on I mean, the inbounder trap, first pass, and offside wing, cover the middle. And we, we got a lot out of that. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where we were at lately with our pressure. Sometimes we change it to a 2-1-2, two, two, and it's easily done. You take your... Man is up on the ball. Ball. Um,
2: full court pressure. Put him in the middle, mm-hmm. and have him become the trapper with one of those up uh, guards. They trap down the wing. So we do some of that
1: also. And we played some man to man? Just man to man pressure, some um, running jump stuff.
0: Somewhere, somehow, Tom Davis is smiling with a ear to ear hearing. You're going with the one two one one. Diamond Press. Uh, Growing up in Iowa, that's what I that's that was the bread and uh, bread and butter uh, for for my formative years of basketball was the was the the Tom Davis Diamond Press there. So, um, what are some what are some drills that you guys run to to break that uh, press down that attacking pressure trapping right away? Uh, How do you work on the traps? How do you uh, work on uh, kids um, anticipating and, and shooting gaps? Uh, in the passing lanes and that type of thing. What are some things that you guys do to teach that?
1: Well, probably the top thing we do is just then work uh, the trap drill itself and try to get the players, say, that 1-2-1-1. One, one, one. And the top man, say Jason Green, would end up trapping with Hunter, the first wing on that side, or it could be Jaden Johnson. And then as we, we practice, just the traps themselves, get guys in different lines. And we emphasize the trap the two players get your one foot of one touching one foot of the other so the dribbler cannot split the gap there. Then we emphasize, you know, the trap really comes as they kill their dribble. So get up as big and as tall and your hands up as high as you can and and yell and scream and breathe fire on them. (laughs) Make them them panic and uh, that's probably the biggest drill. And then as we work that drill, we can have a different coach on an opposite side working a drill where the opposite wing comes to cover middle and then practices really shooting the gap towards the basket to steal that pass. That's where you'll get a chance for a
0: good layup. Then mm-hmm. we have to work the backside guys. One of usually covers on the back end guys. One of them usually covers the ball side, uh, down the side line one covers the basket. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what do you do? What do you guys do in your in your man to man full court? Are, are you are you full denying that? Are you letting them have it in and just working the ball up the floor? What's what's kind of the thought process there? And, and when do you when are you looking to throw that change up at teams? Uh, for us, you
1: know, lately our man to man has been as far as full court. It's been everybody out uh, denied passes, and when they inbound it, uh, really really pressure the dribbler hard. And if you see the dribbler, <clears throat> excuse me, turn his back or give you a chance to double team as he turns his back, and now comes the dribbles at you. You know, we're the double team there. But we lost honestly, Martin. progress more into what we do the most is at half court. And uh, I give it away a lot. I'm not uh, maybe the brightest guy here, but we, we have two different. Uh, um, defense are working on in man to man as you come across that court either trap the first dribble or trap the first pass and we yeah. have we have signs for it but I'm always afraid that maybe somebody doesn't remember the sign and then I start questioning myself do I remember the sign so I just <laughs> you know, I, I yell dribble or pass you know but I'll tell you that the last two years really helped us a lot so if trap the first dribble you really are or pressuring. It's usually the point guard obviously bringing it up. And then as he comes across half, even if he's looking straight at you, we, we hope that you, if you can turn him some and then they can come across half, then it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And you jump him or double team him with the next closest player. And then the key is everybody rotating from there, mm-hmm. including the, the man who's on the dribble. He's probably going to have to sprint and rotate back to help somebody there. So, I mean, after he traps, that's become, it's really helped us a lot. We've just gotten into some good runs and maybe three, four minutes where it really changes the game on getting some turnovers there.
0: And, and that takes time. I think one of the things that when when you're running a, a pseudo run and jump, you're, you're kind of doing it in the half court there uh, instead of the full court. But that takes time to... Uh, have your guys figure out how to make those reads and get on that string because it's, you know, your, your one, two, one, one, you're trapping right away, and it's a, it's a pretty simple read to get everything going. But but now it's you know with that with that run and jump, you've you've got to be you've got to okay. The, now he's doing this. Now I got to go. Oh, is he going? Is he not going? I've got to be ready to attack that. And I think sometimes it's so effective if you can get kids to to run it correctly. But sometimes we as coaches see the concept, but then we get frustrated because we're not getting it as soon as we as soon as we want them to get it, and therefore we kind of set it aside. And I'm guessing it took you guys some patience and some and, and a lot of time uh, to get that timing down and to, to educate your kids about when to go and when not to go and what to look for there.
1: Yeah, that's very true. I think the players, you know, understand the concept very quickly, but then you need just the repetitions of doing it because it actually is a different read every time according to which side of the floor that... Ball handler goes, it affects who's going to come and double team. You know, next when we change it up, we we trap first pass. It's basically our point guard guarding their point, and when they pass it, then our point guard goes and traps first pass. And the wing comes over, to take away the man who passed it. But you know, you could have a possession where you called it, and one of their wings dribbles it up to the
2: floor, so that changes everything. So the players understand it, but you do. You need a a lot of practice uh, doing
1: it, and it, it has, uh, we've had some great runs where the game just turns and people are turning over, but the main reason we're doing it, we just, uh, last year in particular, by the end of the year before, we felt we had the type of players we wanted as many offensive possessions as we could get, so mm-hmm. we go from the 1-2-1, one, two, one, one four, four, to the half-court Man, run, to jump. Everything's to speed the game up. Mm-hmm. So even if they break it, they're going to shoot it quickly. Yeah. And, and sometimes they they look like good shots, but they're they're not set. And you know, if you get enough misses and prevent enough layups, you're still off and running with
0: the rebound. Well, and 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 shots that may go halfway through the first quarter are not going to go in halfway through the second quarter and in the second half because they've gone even faster and sometimes it's a little bit of fool's gold as well
1: well it really is I've got some great assistance Mike Edson Miller is, is absolutely awesome uh, Chris Paulson has been great and over the last couple of years those two reminded me in particular that you and the other team might be story that it is fool's gold and we're getting them tired and they're starting to rust Things and uh, great coaches uh, over the years. Andy Hoss has been with us a long time this year. Nick Moyer will help us as a JV coach. And always on, those guys are on defense. varsity bench, uh, except McClurk and our freshmen, and uh, uh, Glenn Beal with our sophomores. But I, I mentioned Chris and Mike because they're the two that always reminded me. they might look good now, coach, but if you keep it up the third and fourth quarter. We're going to take over. And uh, Chris has now become our girls' head coach, and we wish him a lot of luck. And, and Mike has
0: been a fantastic assistant coach. Those guys remind me of those things. Yeah. Um, so, so you work a lot with your team's pressure, which then gives you opportunities to attack pressure. Uh, what are some keys um, that that you've seen with, with press breaks, and what are things that you know, with your schemes and, and all the stuff you've seen over your, your six decades um, of, of being part of high school basketball, uh, good press breaks and ways to attack pressure. What are things that gives, you know, from looking at it from the other side of things, what gives you troubles uh, and teams that effectively attack your pressure? Well, people that do a good job of, of
1: really having a good player in the middle of any type of zone press that you're on, and if they can get the ball to that guy, that causes any of those zone presses, if you find a with that, or matchups up, causes a lot of problems. I remember years ago,
2: uh, Tyler Bullock played at mm-hmm. like a Norse and he went on to coach at UNO, uh, and we played him three times. And for the first time, Tyler was
1: helping, you know, bring the ball forward to he's a Um and I think by the second time they put him in the middle of our 1-2-2 two, two presses, and that affected us a lot because it's it's tough. If he's there and they get it to him, they're going to have some good looks. So from that standpoint, you got to watch out for that. And from our standpoint, I think I've gone from you know, always worrying about being pressed. Now I'm really kind of glad to get pressed because again, it speeds the game up. And uh, but then on the uh, Fun part of it. We've got a lot of guys now that can break down anywhere. We lob it for a dunk, and that press is over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, it's a good thing. But I have based our press break on totally on always trying to, for the most part, the man and down and we just send them down the middle. And it's one of our really good players. And we try to give them the ball in the middle, and let people go. If they guard him well in the middle, then a couple pretty good players for us who open down the sides deep also so
0: it's tough to start. Um, how much of that is instinctual and how much of that over the years you've had to really break down and okay we, we gotta go to a pattern here because we're not just making the reads with, with just naturally just by playing the game
1: well I think you know like with any sport when you have good players right now a lot of, for us instinctual, we got to do pretty well breaking a press even if we're not quite set the way we want. If it's mad, then we feel
2: good with very much any of our guys. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, we clear out but somebody bring the ball to the floor, but it don't
1: We always emphasize to get, get somebody in the middle. and you know We have a little bit of trouble if nobody really gets into the middle, but generally, we do. We get a lot of layups out of inbound it, reverse it, hit the middle guy, and then he's going. And He's got two guys deep on the way. We're set up, it's really it ends up being a 2-1-2. And the, last year, uh, Max got
0: a lot of those dumps on the far end of the press break. And Jason Green saw him just because getting them all in the middle, and they stuck up, and then we throw it to him. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. You guys have, have done a really good job of building up your, your youth organization out at millard north um you kind of you got a whole website dedicated to it mustang youth basketball.org uh what are what are some things that you guys feel like what are some things that you feel like your program has done well to develop players uh to to complement your program to come in and be difference makers so forth and so on uh and, and how have you structured things to to make that happen
1: well, uh, thanks for asking that, Marty. That's been a really great development for Miller North basketball and i just say in the early years had uh, our own coaches running our youth program and uh, Derek Spooner, who's now the head coach of Mount Michael, was not only on our coaching staff, former Miller North player and he actually ran the program uh, a couple of years there. Then Mike Edson Miller, my current assistant, took over and then, you know, the program was growing and, uh, With that, we grew with just the great coaches we've had um, at every grade level. People helping us. I felt in the beginning I wanted to to find all the coaches myself, and you know learned you can't do that. So um, some great guys right now: Tom Mazuraga runs our junior Mustang program, and Kyron O'Brien, just working and the those guys have now developed the program and. Found many coaches to help us at grade levels now, a lot younger than it used to be. And we're up 17 teams, so it's really been a great uh, growth and improvement of the program. And one thing that, that I makes sure we have too is besides all the teams, we have uh, some clinics in, at night in the mid to late spring and a little bit in the fall. In, in the normal years, it didn't go that way this year with COVID, but. Uh, that's been a big help. Having clinics with the players, that, you know, a
0: lot of them are in that program. But the clinics are open; anybody wants to come, also. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, what's What's the structure of your of your teams in the sense of you know, how many times are you able to get your kids into the gym a, a week on average? Uh, what do you What do you emphasize with your kids? What are you trying to develop? Uh, what are you asking of your coach? I think you bring up a great point. Uh, one thing that sometimes gets forgotten with us as high school coaches is not only do we need to coach our players within the the youth program but we also have to spend time coaching the coaches and getting them to do what we want them to do and you talked about the clinics i think that's a great idea uh, we're going to be doing that here in a few weeks at our, at our school and uh you know, getting getting that process going and started within our youth program but you know what do you, yeah like I said what do you guys you know about how often do they come in uh, on an average week and and what are you asking the kids to work on just getting that development within your within your program
1: well uh, as you head into what we say the normal high school fall um, season our junior month things are and
2: and this is on the girls side too I'm just on the boys' side right now with mm-hmm. all those guys involved. But, um, they start playing
1: games in OSA leagues, by mid-October, simple in a normal year, it, it, the schools aren't open to do this. yet yeah, for these practices for Junior Mustangs, so we're hoping we can do that. But normal year, um, you know, we'll have tryouts, and then practices actually begin early September, and then you start the games in October, and from there, it's... Uh,
2: it's quite a few tournaments they play in, plus all week in winter. Um, oh, it it's a lot of ball games. And probably one to two nights a week of practice. We've mm-hmm. we're grateful that many schools have helped us, so we've been at our own middle schools
0: in the Miller Public Schools program, and uh, some different gyms we've been able able to use.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's been what, what do you have in your coaches emphasize, your youth coaches? What, what are they working on? Is it is it a bunch of your quote-unquote system, or is it pretty much just strictly all fundamentals, and then we'll we'll teach them the, the X's and O's later on down the line? how to you know, I, I think there's a lot of different ways to skin the cat. What's your guys' philosophy uh, there at Miller North? Well, it's
1: more inside fundamentals and principles of, of individual defense and team defense. And then, if you you know, if you want to play zone, that's fine. You don't tell them that you cannot play any zone or play all man. But we preach really the man-to-man defensive principles, and then on all offense, we do not uh, uh, stress a certain offense. We stress more five-man motion, and, and then just fundamentals again of moving your body and moving the ball, and maybe out of post and have four-man motion. But I know over the years, it's it's tough coaches, you know, they want to do what we're doing at the school, but I always feel like honestly, offensively, we may be doing something one year that we didn't do the year before, so it's better just you know, we run a lot of motion principles, but just stay with that mm-hmm. and then, like you said, the coaches uh, teaching the coaches, Tom Ozarka does a really good job of working with his coaches, and then uh, a couple of yeah, one or two nights a year with, with our high school coaches talk to their Mustang coaches and then maybe even go through a practice night with the players and you know something else we do
2: Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Uh, how much how much hands-on stuff do you have to do with it or do you just kind of let your you let your guys roll uh, you
1: know what Mike Espo does a great job of working like if we do our uh, clinics the one night clinics it's for uh Chris Paulson and Mike at, or did a great job of organizing. You now, like I said, Chris will be on the girls' side, but um, I let it roll out with that. Those guys organize, do a great job, and you know, I'm I'm there for everything. I I really think those clinics have helped us too because we get so much good work, and the kids can choose like four or five nights in a row in April and May, and they normally the same from Late August through September,
0: and uh, I like to spend more time just walking around, whichever group, talking to different kids, and working on different stuff. You know, but uh, coaches do a great job of organizing everything.
2: hmm hmm
0: What's uh, your your off season setup here with your high school program? So we've talked about your your program development at the the youth and junior high level. Once they're once they're playing for you they're at 144th and Pacific. What, uh, what are they, uh, how do you guys get your, in in a typical non COVID off season? Uh, what do you guys, what do you guys do? And how do you organize things? Uh, how much do you, uh, have to work around AAU and, and things like that?
1: Well, that's a great question. And, you know, uh, one memory comes by, and I remember hearing Joe Mm Satchett, who, uh, was head coach at, oh, first of all, Fremont Burke at Hastings High School, became principal of Fremont High School. Great, great guy, great coach. Uh, the very much Clinic one time, go so through that, what it looks like year round. And as he did it, I thought, wow, that's a lot of days. And then I thought, we do all that, but I never thought of it. And,
2: <laughs> so,
1: how, how many days you're looking at? You know, it's not. It's not every day, it's about the year, but here's our basic breakdown. But it's a lot of days. We after uh you know, state tournament hopefully we we'll make it to state, then we just give them some weeks off and then obviously AAU ball will start and then mid the late March. And when we start up it's maybe say first week of April, we start up again with just off season weightlifting for the guys who are not in the spring sport. Mm-hmm. And we do emphasize that you're Playing baseball, running track, you know, golf, whatever it is, totally support that. But if you're not, then we're in here working. And usually about three days a week with weight lifting. It's not a lot of conditioning at that time because I feel like our time is so far away. It's more working on your strength. And then mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of open gym when we can. But to be honest, every time it rains, somebody's in the gym. We have to so they use them if it's raining so, you know that's it and, and then their AAU ball is really picking up the tournaments then we get into gym and there's kind of a I think a mutual respect between AAU and high school that's kind of our month the high school to have our league games so this year wasn't typical but a typical June, we would have early morning we usually have 7am workouts uh, 3 to 4 days a week depending on the year just shooting and skill, then we go to weight, and then we, you know, that goes from early June through July, and even we have uh, usually Monday night OSA League, and then some weekend tournaments, mm-hmm. and that goes, you know, those, we're done playing all that by June, and continue our workouts, late July, we try to
2: just close her down, and kids are getting ready for fall sports, or they're really in July, they're playing their mm-hmm. Well that's it. Fall we start up again. We actually start Monday with just just weight lifting.
1: Like uh, eventually we'll add some conditioning and then open gym and stuff we can do. But gym's tight to get right now with volleyball and, and all that. Which we totally
0: respect. Yeah, yeah. And then you you begin the slow build so that you're you're ready to hit the floor running around November fifteenth every every winter. So
1: yeah, yeah. And a different thing this year, Marty. Hey, you balled, is I think. November is going to be uh, continue, uh, playing some weekend tournaments
0: for at least some of the guys, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's a little, little different that way. Yeah, that's it's it's a unique balancing act that we're heading into. Uh, it, it's so different because most of the time in July, there's there's no school sports to compete with for for AAU, and the kids can go out and. And, and run the circuit uh, at whatever level they're at, whether they're somebody like Hunter or like most kids that are being recruited, they're going to be NAIA schools, maybe, you know, junior colleges, that type of thing. Uh, but now, you know, these kids still want to be seen. But if they're if they're also a football player, and, and in your situation at Miller North, let's say Fred is depending on a kid to play football, but and and the kid likes to play football, but he loves basketball, and he and he and he. Doesn't have maybe the the uh, offers that he may want at this point. How do you balance that out here coming up here over the next couple of months? That's that's going to be a, a tough situation for a lot of schools to deal with. Yeah, yeah, that is It's it's a whole
2: different situation with all that going on. Sure, it sure is.
0: Mm-hmm. Coach, this has been. A, a privilege and a and a pleasure. I, I hope you've enjoyed being on the pod. A lot of lot of terrific stuff that we covered here this morning. And I appreciate your time. I know you've been crazy busy handling phone calls and and uh, all of this stuff. So I, I really appreciate your time coming on the podcast this morning.
1: Well, Marty, thank you. It's a pleasure, and uh, you do a great great job here as your podcast responsibility too. So continue good luck there I think it's well appreciated not
0: basketball community yeah well and 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 I kind of did want to end on this note you know I kind of made a joke at the beginning here with the with the 50 thing um, you know it, it has been really crazy and I'm and I'm really you know kind of hit two milestones here with this in the last uh, week to ten days um, you know 500 Twitter follows and and uh you know, 50 podcasts, 50 interview podcasts, um, you know, I set a modest goal that if I did this for a year, could I, could I average one Twitter follow a year and help some people out? So, you know, 365 was kind of the, if I, if I kept this going for a full year, uh, that was, that was the, the goal, um, and and you know everything is kind of taken off. And I know five hundred Twitter followers is nothing for a Kardashian or, or something like that. You know, but uh, for for a history teacher uh, and a girls' basketball coach, I, I hope I've uh, through through the podcast, through the Twitter postings, uh, through the roundtables, and and all the things that I've tried to throw out there. Uh, I just hope I've been able to to help a lot of people um, and to to give opportunities for people to hear from somebody like you and all the other great coaches that I've talked to, to, to help other people out as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's just been, it's just, it's been really, really awesome. And, and it would not, it would not, I I've gotten a lot of credit, but, it's not me. It's having great conversations with people like you that have helped other coaches out and helped make them better. And I'm just been kind of the middleman to to bring this out here. And so uh, these great conversations are going to help coaches get better at what they do. And and I you know I just can't thank enough for for people like you for making this possible and hopefully helping a lot of people around out um, in Nebraska in the Midwest. You know even around the world. I mean I've had. Listeners can in, in Canada, in in England, in the Far East, in Vietnam. I mean, it's it's just been it's been really really crazy, and uh, I really, uh, in all honesty, if you want to thank me, you really need to thank my wife because she's the one that actually came up with the idea and pushed me into it. And uh, so, thank Carla Plum instead of thanking Marty Plum if if you've enjoyed <laughs> all of these. So, um, well, that, that's
1: a great thing, and I think we should. As coaches, we should thank our wives for many things that they do, not only like in this example for you, but for our players and and, uh, and help us in what we want to do as coaches coach, too. And, and I'm totally with you also, being grateful to others uh, for what they've done and trying to help some. I, I named all my coaches uh, there, and I do want to mention – we also have a coach named Tad Young coming on board, and I know, I think of that because I know he's, just, you know he's just kind of starting a lot of things, and we're glad to have him. You can learn, and on the other end, I think people like Fred Petito. I started with Coach Petito at uh, Cathedral, and he had me you on know, his football staff in our early years. I learned so much there, and a good friend of mine named Rick Wall lives in South Dakota. I coached a year of baseball. I learned from him. I learned from Mike McCarthy, what helped. My first year
0: at Cathedral, so it's all kind of a cyclical process. We help some, and others have helped us along. So it's a great, great thing in basketball. Absolutely one one thousand uh, percent. Well, Coach, yeah. uh, I, I want to thank you for your time this morning. Um, uh, just need to wrap a couple things up here. If you could hold the line, I'd appreciate that. Or, uh, but uh, as we sign off here. Um, Again, thank Coach Tim Cannon, head boys basketball coach at at Miller North High School here in Omaha. Uh, We also want to thank our sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic. Uh, If you're in in need of any chiropractic services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Again, follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Uh, You can follow Miller North uh, Boys Basketball here at MNHS underscore basketball. And there's a lot of good stuff up there. Uh, download and re- review the pod. Uh, you're listening on iTunes or SoundCloud, so um, uh, give us five stars. Again, we just want to help coaches get better. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. My name is Marty Plum. This has been Tim Cannon. Coaches, let us pray for peace. Let us stay safe. And let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.